Hey yo. Yes, it's happening. Uh, good evening. I feel like when people use the word evening, they're really proper. Uh, but good evening. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Uh, where is my escape room crew that escaped with two minutes to spare? Way to go. Did the last group escape? Did you? Did you get out? I wasn't there for it. No? Yes? You did. Okay, great, cool. They were like, had to talk about it to make sure. Uh, the escape room is awesome and underrated. I, I'm so grateful to be able to, I literally sat on the floor and watched and it was so cool. Uh, tonight, we are gonna be diving in. Who has their Bibles with them? You should know by now we're gonna be in them. And so we're gonna be looking at Ephesians 4, as we have been. We're gonna be at Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, right? And so with that, you can open there, Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, in honor of reading God's word, we will all stand up together. And so three, two, one, stand on up. So Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 20, it says this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your as you've heard about him, it's put in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. It's like we're continuing this whole statement that's going on. And I, I, I wonder if you're catching on that there's a lot of repetition of the things that we've seen before. As we're talking about people who are outside of Christ that don't have a relationship with him. And it switches to this is what it looks like to be in relationship with Christ. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And like I've said, every time we've been here, we're going to pray in order to ask God to help us to understand. And so would you pray with me? Father, we, we take this this moment to submit to you. Lord, you are the author and creator. You are the one who knows everything because you established it. And so Lord, you are creator, we are creation, and we look to you for what is best. And Lord, we ask that tonight that you would be with us, that you would, uh, you would guide us towards yourself. Lord, for those of us who have hardened hearts, would you soften them? For those of us who have been wayward, would you turn us back? And Lord, for those of us who are just overflowing with joy because of what you have done, Lord, would you double it? Would you just continue to get the glory in this room as we are transformed here in this place? Father, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. How many of you guys have ever been physically stuck in something? Physically stuck. Whether maybe it's like in the mud or maybe you got stranded somewhere or maybe like you're one of those little kids who stuck your head through the, like, the railings and you couldn't get it out. When I was three years old, my dad decided to bring me to the mall. Um, we were going shopping. It was actually, it must have been, do the math, uh, it must have been like 27 years ago or so. Uh, and he was bringing me to the mall to shop for uh, Valentine's Day for my mom. Um, and uh, he was bringing me around and we were trying to find out what to, to get for her, which of course, I'm not making any decisions at this point, right? And as we're walking around, he just keeps on not being able to decide what he wants to get. And of course, as a little three-year-old, I'm just getting exhausted. And so we're just going up and down wherever we go to find something in the mall for my mom. 
Uh, and I remember we were getting on the escalator for like the fourth time and we're going up and I'm just, I'm exhausted. And so I just decided to take a little seat. Um, and it's a fun ride to go up on an escalator. It's even more fun when you're lower on it. It just feels like you've got a lower center of gravity. Uh, really fun until you get to the top of the escalator and your overalls, like Eli was wearing, your overalls get stuck in the escalator and starts pulling you in like you're being eaten alive by a machine. Le legitimately, like, the machine stopped, started screaming, because I was locked in. And of course, my dad now realizes what's going on, tries to grab me and pull me up, but I'm like stuck, stuck. And so security ends up seeing what's going on and somehow they get a pair of scissors and they literally have to cut my overalls off to remove me from the escalator. So as a three-year-old, I go home just in my undies. You know, like that's all I had because I had to leave everything else behind. It literally just ate it all. And so as you can imagine, as my dad comes home with gifts and with uh, his practically naked son, <laughs> and my mom is just utterly confused. And my dad said, yeah, he, I mean, he sat down on the escalator and he got stuck. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> and uh, I asked, I've actually, when I told my mom I was going to be sharing that story, I asked, I was like, do you have a picture? And she said, no, I don't have a picture because I was busy laughing. And so there is no picture, but I, 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 want, I want to see proof. Maybe one day something will come up. Uh, but I was stuck. I literally had to be cut out in order to be removed. I mean, if they didn't cut off my overalls, I'd probably still be there right now, just at the top of an escalator in somewhere in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, and so uh, I was stuck in that moment. Many of us have experienced that of being physically stuck. But have you ever felt maybe even more stuck than physically stuck. Maybe in your situation, in your, in your life, or maybe even in your home, you feel so stuck in the situation you're in, but there's nothing you can do about it. Actually, take a step back from that story that I just told, uh, my dad wasn't my birth dad. Uh, I was born into a home where my birth mom was a drug addict and my birth dad was a workaholic. And so me and my brother and brother's two years older, uh, we're both just kind of left home alone often. When I was one year old, a, a one year old, not plural, my brother was three, he would, he would babysit me so that my mom can go off and party and do what she wanted to do and my dad's at work. And so obviously like a really unhealthy situation. And most of my family after, actually acknowledged this. They were not okay with the extended family. And so they would babysit. They would try to figure out what they could do. They would often buy groceries and put them in the fridge. And the next day they would be all gone. And it's because they were, it was sold for drug money. And that's the situation where I was born into and I was being raised in. Often my birth mom would drop me off at my grandparents and say like, hey, uh, can you watch Tony? Can you watch Brian for like 24 hours? And they would always say, of course, you know, we'll always watch them. And typically it would be like, like three days or more before they would come back. And there was this one time when they dropped us off and my, my birth mom didn't come back for eight days. And my, my grandpa opened the door and he said, we will see you in court because this is not going to be the way that my grandchildren grow up. My life, my brother's life, we were stuck as a one-year-old, two-year-old, there's nothing I could do to fix that situation. Actually, there's nothing you would expect to, for, that, for me to be able to fix that situation. I was utterly stuck. Something outside, my grandparents and then my aunt and uncle who would get married to adopt me and my, my brother at 19 and 20. They got married so they could bring us in. It literally took people saying, we're going to step in and intervene because you can't do this on your own. 
this morning we talked about sin and how it numbs and kills you. And really, as we kind of end the message on that, like there's this feeling of like, okay, what are we supposed to do then? I, I literally told you there's nothing you can do. You are stuck in your sin on your own. And so what are we supposed to do? Well, similar, similarly to my story, our God is one who enters in. God cares more about you than you actually think he does tonight. I guarantee you, even if you have a big view of God, it's, he's bigger. He cares far more about each of you and he is not distant, he is near. And God desires to, to reach in and to bring us out of our sin, out of our mess. And we get to talk about a God who cherishes and cares about every single one of us. And we see that most clearly in the person of Jesus. Really, in this passage that we're in, we get a picture of what it means when you have a relationship with Jesus. Looking back at verse 20, it says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Remember, we're talking to the, the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians, the young Christians. That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Once again, Paul's talking about that there's a difference between people who are living knowing who Jesus is and people who are not, the Gentiles versus people who are not. And he's saying that the, the way that they live is obviously different. And what's different? It's that they know Jesus. And so there's something special about knowing this Jesus. But I don't think the way that Paul is talking about it here has to do with like, the way that I know Alexander Hamilton because I have Disney Plus, you know, like just because I've seen a play before. I know about Alexander Hamilton. I don't personally know him. When Paul's talking about that the way you've learned Jesus, he's not telling them the way you learned about Jesus. It's reminding them this is the person that you have encountered, that Jesus is able to be known personally, not about, but to actually know him. And that encounter of knowing him changes everything. I just want to pause for a second and acknowledge that you can know a bunch of things about God. You can know a bunch of things about Jesus and have no idea who he is. You could be sitting in your seat and have all of the facts, all of the catechisms, everything that you could ever be, been taught and be far away from him because you actually do not know him personally. You just know about him. God is able to be known because he has entered in and made a way. And it's through Jesus. You know, the entire Bible, everything in here points to Jesus. It's all pointing to him. In chapter three of Genesis, we see when sin enters in and it, and it corrupts all of humanity, God makes a promise in Genesis 3.15 saying, I will provide a way to redeem you from your sin. He promises that there will be one to come and that person is Jesus. Specifically, you see in Isaiah 53, this is 800 years, 800 years before Jesus ever stepped on earth. It says this in, in verse four of Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Once again, that's 800 years before Jesus is around. 
pointing forward to a Messiah, to, to someone to come and save. And then we get to the New Testament and we see in John chapter one that Jesus is not just like a special man, not just somebody who like, has good teaching, but he's actually the incarnation of God. That he is God in a bod, that God takes on human flesh, that he comes down to become like us, fully God, fully man, and that is the person Jesus. And as we see in Jesus' life and ministry, we see over and over again that he was just so different than anything else, than anyone else. As he begins to grow in his ministry, as people begin to know who he is as he's walking around, we see that he is known for, for healing and for, for helping people out, for helping the disabled, for calling out the religious leaders of the day for being hypocrites when everyone was afraid of them. You wouldn't question a Pharisee, you wouldn't question a Sadducee, but it seems like Jesus was doing it often because he knew what was best. We see that he is often explaining the Jewish law in like two religious teachers, and he's explaining what it was all about. And even there are countless times where Jesus is given opportunity to become like the ruler of Israel. Like in Matthew 21, when he's walking into the city and people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They want Jesus to be their king, to take over. And Jesus is saying, I am not about this. I'm about something so much greater. Over and over again, Jesus is proving that he is so much greater than we can imagine. You see, I've said it a few times, but historians do not doubt that Jesus existed. Like you are like in the 1% if you believe that Jesus never existed. And so that leaves us with understanding this uh, kind of a common way of viewing of it, of like, what, who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he someone who was just faking being the son of God, telling everyone that that's who he was and pulling all these tricks in front of people's faces and knowing deep down inside that he actually wasn't? So is he a liar? Or is Jesus a lunatic? Was he so mad that he just didn't understand what reality was and he truly just thought that he was the son of God when he really wasn't? He's just convincing everyone because he is so convinced himself. Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Is he truly the son of God, the one who took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, was truly healing people because he was redeeming mankind? You see, like people land all over the place on that, but the big question that I think is that we have to ask is, did Jesus actually resurrect from the grave? The reason why we celebrate Easter. I mean, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the, the grave, this is all a sham. But I believe Jesus actually did. Not just because the Bible says it. I mean, that's a good reason enough to believe, but also because of the apologetics of the resurrection. Hold on, I, I want to go down this little sidetrack. For those of you who maybe question, did Jesus actually go to the grave and on the third day after dying, resurrect from the grave? There's a few reasons why. I, I, I just want to make an argument that really smart people make this argument for it. Number one, nobody ever found a body. That you can't trace back. I mean, everybody, I mean, Jesus was talking about over and over again that he was going to resurrect from the grave. If you 
if you like wanted to disprove it, you would think the, the religious leaders of that day would have shown off Jesus's dead body, but there is no dead body that was shown. Number two, people say that maybe uh, Jesus's body was stolen in order to make people believe that, you know what, he resurrected from the grave. He's no longer in the tomb. But I just don't think that's the case. The Roman guards that were, would have been standing guard to ensure that wouldn't have happened because I'm guessing that they would have been smart enough to assume that if, that if Jesus wasn't the real deal, that people would have tried to do that. The Roman guards that would have been standing there would be executed for failing to do their job. And there's no amount of money that they would want to take to be bribed to allow that to happen. They were excellent defenders. There's no way that would have happened. And not only that, number three, they were excellent killers. There are people that say maybe Jesus actually didn't die on the cross, that he was close to dying. And then after a few days of just kind of laying around, dying in a, in a grave, he made his way out. But like I said, the Romans were really good at what they did. And Jesus wasn't the only person who was ever crucified. It was actually the way that they, they gave a capital punishment, that they would kill criminals. And they got really, really good at it. Jesus would have died on the cross. They wouldn't have failed at that. Then number four, many people claim to see Jesus after he died. Many people, many different accounts. Even so much so that there are so many people who have written scripture about seeing Jesus after he resurrected from the grave. And what gain would they have in committing to that if it was just a bit? They got persecuted for it. They were being killed for it. Why would they make this up in order to get attacked, right? It wasn't for their own gain. And number five, the, it, it's huge. I mean, so many other people during, around the time of Jesus would claim that they were something special. And after they died, just like everything was gone. Like nobody followed that person anymore. But after Jesus dies, his following booms, like and spreads it throughout the whole world. Something must have happened. And I believe it's because Jesus actually resurrected from the grave. It was proven. People witnessed it and it was done. If Jesus resurrected from the grave, he is the real deal. And we have good reason to have hope in him. The same Jesus that we are reading about, that the church in Ephesus, that Paul is telling them, you've learned Christ. This is the way you were taught him. This is the way you've encountered him is the same Jesus who is alive today that we are worshiping as well, that we look to, the very same Jesus we meet today. The passage continues on in, chapter, in verse 22, and it says this, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful de desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see that encountering Jesus somehow makes it possible to live the right style of life. It somehow makes it possible to what, what Paul is saying, take off your old self and put on some new self. Like take off your sinful, dirty rags, as scripture talks about, and to take on royal robes of like a king. That, that, that's possible to happen. But the truth is, is you can't receive, you can't put on a new self if you actually haven't received a new self. 
You see, we're not talking about you just kind of having a New Year's resolution type of faith of just going out of like, okay, I'm inspired by what Jesus has done. Therefore, I'm just going to go try and live better. You see, Jesus was, isn't about, like following Jesus isn't about just having like sprinkles poured on you and making you better. Like, you know, like sprinkles on a donut because sprinkles on a donut is a better style of donut. It's not about just being made better. It's being about me, being made new, completely new creation. Our theme verse, uh, First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that we are a new creation if we have placed our faith in Jesus. That you are completely new. You're different. Your DNA is changed. He's not just adding to you. He's making you new. And you cannot be made new unless you have received this new self. Jesus didn't do all of this just to like do some crazy party trick, just to prove that he could do it. He didn't come live a perfect life, do ministry for three years, be arrested, be put on a cross, be tortured, then then die on the cross, and then be laid in the grave and on the third day resurrect from the grave just so that we would have an example to follow. He did it so that those who would place their faith in him would receive his perfection in exchange for their sinfulness. This radically alters our eternity. If sin is real and sin kills, we are doomed without a savior. We need it. And this is where the gospel comes in. That's the good news. That's literally what gospel means. That there was a way made when we were stuck in our own place. If you flip back to Ephesians chapter two, it's one page for me. It unpacks what the gospel truly is so that we don't miss it. It's so easy to miss. And we read verses one through three earlier. Remember it said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you remember what the, the minimum wage for sin is? Death. And what are dead people good at? Being dead. And that's how this passage, passage starts, that every person has a dead relationship with God, that we're doomed on our own. But then the next verse changes everything. It's pivotal. Look at verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let me unpack that a bit. You see, we're, we're told that, that, that God is rich in mercy, meaning he doesn't immediately annihilate us in our sin. We don't immediately like stop breathing when we sin. He is merciful. Even though we don't deserve life, he continues to offer life to us, but he doesn't just offer mercy. He offers grace, which means that's goodness we don't deserve. He offers us more than we can ever imagine. What is that? He makes us alive. Wait, if sin kills us, that's exactly what we need. We need a God that is able to make us alive. You see, God looked at your circumstance and saw you stuck in your sin. And he said, you know what? I will provide a way out because there is no way that they can climb out of the pit themselves. 
And it was because of his love for us and not just like an emotional love, but love that is actually proven that he lived a perfect life as Jesus. He took on human flesh, lived a perfect life and he went to the cross in my place, in your place, where we deserved it. And he literally died. He said, let me prove my love. Let me prove it. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected from the grave. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus intentionally and willingly dies in our place as a perfect substitute. And his death would be a sacrifice for anybody who places their faith in him for Jesus as their Lord. So saying, Jesus, you're in charge. And as their savior saying, Jesus, I could never save myself. I needed you to do it for me. Would inherit an eternal life. God, is, is it is such good news that God has proven that he is able to bring dead things to life. When we were stuck in our own, when we were in the negative, God offered us a way not to just be made neutral, to just erase our sin, but to give us his righteousness. And so when God looks at us and we have faith in him, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, he sees Jesus's perfection. But this isn't just for everyone. This isn't just like something that everyone just gets we see in the next few verses, look at down at verse eight, what happens? It says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The thing about a gift is that it remains just kind of a gift that's wrapped up until it's opened. You need to receive it. If you haven't received this, this new self, you're stuck with the old self and there's no other option. It is something that you actually have to place your faith in Jesus, acknowledge that you needed him. If you don't do that, if you don't surrender your life and you know that these facts, there's, there's nothing that happens. There's no excuse that we will have as we stand before God at the end of our lives and say, blank, that will be justifiable other than the blood of Jesus. That is the only thing that we can plead. And if you haven't surrendered your life to him, then all you have is yourself, stuck in your sin. You see, another way that Ephesians 1 talks about it is that God actually adopts you in. And that's special to me, obviously. Like it's a huge part of my story, that God has adopted us to, from enemies to children, his own children, when we didn't deserve it. He offers that to us. And I am so grateful for my, for my story that, he had, that my parents adopted me at such a young age especially, but I am so much more grateful that my God has brought me in I needed that far more and you need it far more too. And God has made a way for you to be in relationship with him for eternity if you're just willing to place your faith in him. There's no greater compliment than you can offer than surrendering to him. 
I'm going to invite the band out as we wrap up. Uh, but I just want to make sure that we don't miss this. That this isn't just something that we can nod our heads at without making a decision personally to actually surrender your own life to Jesus, which I imagine many of you in this room, at some point, you've said, you know what, I believe Jesus, you are the Savior, you are Lord of my life, I've surrendered my life to you, and I am so stoked that you have done that. And so my hope for you tonight is that you wouldn't just like assume that you have nothing to learn, but even if you are in that place, what would it look like for you to pray for others, even right now, who don't know the Lord? to actually join in and ask God to stir in someone's heart. But many of us in this room have not accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior, have not surrendered to him. You have the opportunity to do that any point in your life, but tomorrow's not guaranteed. Tomorrow, like 10 minutes from now is not guaranteed. You can't be waiting until you're, you're 18 and you've got your college figured out or you're 22 and you've got your job figured out or you're 30 and you finally bought a house or you're, you're, you're 35 and you finally have kids or you're 50 and you have grandkids or whatever. You can't be looking to the next thing because it's not guaranteed. And more than that, the life that you get to live with Jesus is beautiful and good. We're gonna talk more about that tomorrow. But man, God is with you for the rest of your life when you surrender to him. And so this is what we're gonna do. In just a moment, I'm gonna have every head bowed, every eye closed, just to have a moment with the Lord. And you're gonna be given an opportunity to surrender to Jesus for the very first time if, if you haven't. And for, for some of you, you know, you know it's you. You know the Lord is tugging on your heart that you haven't ever done this before. And that this gets to be the time that on February 11th, 2023, that is when God grabbed a hold of your life and saved you from wrath, saved you from hell, but has given you a relationship with God forever. So with that, if you guys would, would bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we, we take this moment to put our eyes on you. Lord, so many of us have placed our faith in you and Lord, we praise you for that. But for those who haven't, Lord, I pray right now that you would reveal to them who you are and that you are worthy to be followed, that you are real, that you are good and that you desire everyone to know you because we were designed to walk step in step with you. And so for those of you who, who have never placed your faith in Jesus, you can legitimately call out to God Right now, silently in your own heart, you could pray a prayer simply like this. You can say, dear Lord Jesus, I accept that I am a sinner and I believe that you went to the cross on my behalf and you resurrected from the grave and you are my savior and I commit to you being my Lord. Thank you for coming into my life. with every head bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer or you've accepted Jesus for the very first time tonight, would you just look up? Yeah. 
Awesome. It's beautiful that we continue to get to, to follow after God and that there's still opportunity. And even knowing that looking up is not what saves you, but is our God and what he has done that saves us and placing our faith in him redeems us immediately. And so with that, for those of you, which every, everyone can lift up their heads, faith is public. It is not a private action. And so for those of you who've placed your faith in Jesus, maybe those of you who even looked up, I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna charge you to stand up, not to like receive all the attention, but so that you can make your faith public and the people around you can come alongside you because you are not supposed to walk through this life on your own. You're supposed to do it in community. And so if you placed your faith in Jesus for the very first time, would you stand so that we can come alongside you? Yeah. That's awesome. Hey, friends, hey, stay, stay standing for me. I know that you just got clapped for and, and whatnot. Hey, for those of you who are standing and for those of you also who are like, that's, it's too hard for me to stand. Can I just read a passage of scripture over you that is true of you? If you've placed your faith in Jesus tonight, this is what is true of you. Paul talks about in Galatians 2.20. He talks about it personally, but I'm gonna switch the me's to you's. It says this in Galatians 2.20. You have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And now the life that you live in the flesh, you live by the faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. God cherishes you so much so. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are immediately made righteous. That God sees you as a son, as a daughter. And that is something that you never deserved and you get to live your life praising him and learning about him from this point on. And so I'm gonna pray for us and I'm gonna wrap up. Father, I thank you for, for all of the people in this room. Lord, as, as people have placed their faith for the very, very first time, Lord, you are gonna walk with them and guide them. Your churches are going to point them towards truth. We thank you for redeeming people tonight, Lord, that heaven is a little bit more crowded. And Lord, I also lift up those in this room who, who know you, who just are also living in sin or broken or just need to even have a conversation about what it means to follow after you. Lord, would you remind them that repentance and confession is normal in the Christian life and that we get to bring our burdens to one another. Would you guide us the rest of this night, the rest of this weekend? And would you get all of the glory and credit as Lord, as your church comes around and worships you because you are worthy. We love you, Father. Praise all these things in your name.